potentially people will start to trickle in, perhaps, I, I don't know, uh, we will see, but uh, wonderful to see everyone who is here this uh, wonderful day after Christmas, uh, thank you all for coming out, um, you know, my name's Amos, I'm one of the pastors here of the Village Church, and I just stand to give you a few announcements, uh, so welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus in all things. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. If you're a guest today, welcome. There are guest information cards located outside the sanctuary, uh, outside the sanctuary doors in the narthex. Please fill one out and drop it off in the basket. We look forward to connecting with you. Now, Village Church faithful, if y'all see somebody that doesn't look familiar, uh, y'all, please try to guide them to those um, connection cards. As many of you know, our pastor, uh, our senior pastor, um, Reverend Alex Shipman, continues his sabbatical, so please keep him and his family in prayer. Uh, but if you have any questions or prayer requests or concerns, please contact any of your other elders. Also, um, uh, we want to remind you that the nursery is open today, so have children five and under who you'd like to check into the nursery we are providing that service for you at the village church we believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship so you may give to the vision and mission of the village church by using the link on our website which is enterthevillage.net forward slash give you can also mail a check to our address which is 2103 virginia boulevard Huntsville, Alabama, 35811. Or after the service, if you're here live and in color, you can drop off your offering in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. We want you to be a part of our flock, so please join us on Flock Note by texting Join the Mission, all lowercase, all one word, Join the Mission to 84576. Again, that's Join the Mission to 8456. Seven, six. On December 29th, which is this Wednesday, there will be no corporate prayer scheduled. Um, uh, so, yeah, there, we, we won't be doing that. Uh, the church office will also be closed on December 30th and December 31st. All right, my good people, those are your announcements. As always, please govern yourselves accordingly. Uh, so let's prepare our hearts and minds for worship. rejoice and be glad in it. Let us take a few moments. I trust that you had a fantastic um, time fellowshipping with friends and family on yesterday. Uh, but let's take a few moments right now to prepare our hearts and minds for worship.
worship. It is taken from the hymn, Come Thou Fount. Please join with me where it notes congregation. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it. Mount of God's redeeming love. Amen. Let's praise the Lord. of sin. Um, we confess sins of omission, of commission, 
and sins of self-righteousness where we think we're doing pretty good. All that we need to confess this morning. Let me read uh, from Psalm 146 where it says, Put not your trust in princes and the son of man in whom there is no salvation. Let's have time to sign the confession now. Thank you. We can come to you knowing that you will forgive our sins as we come to you. So I thank you this time of the year we celebrated the birth of Christ who came to suffer and to die so we could ask forgiveness, we could be forgiven. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name. Now hear the assurance of pardon from John 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. John chapter 2, verse 15. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he. Oh. Okay. Hang on a second. That's embarrassing. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what those two those two verses went together. I was really looking forward to seeing how you were going to pull those two together. It's like, wow, this is going to be an awesome sermon. I'm sure it's still going to be awesome. All right. Okay, here we go. Here we go. We're back. All right, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And then the second, First John Chapter 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for God is, for love is from God, 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And in this, the, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that he might live, so that he might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The word of the Lord.
that was weak. I know there aren't many of us in here, uh, but good morning. All right, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. So uh, I, I stand to, uh, of course, give you guys the word of God. But I got a couple of things that uh, I need to do before we get to the um, to the uh, prayer of supplication. Um, first, uh, I do want to remind us about uh, the Advent series that we just completed on last week and about the lighting of the candles. Uh, on Christmas Day and the, uh, the Christmas Sundays, uh, the Advent candles are usually removed, but the Christ candle remains. This is because we have moved from remembering the anticipation of Christ's birth to the fact and in this special moment of birth, we transition from prophecy to fulfillment. The Christ candle represents the work of Christ to us, our light in the darkness through his birth, life, death, resurrection, and return. This candle reminds us that old things have passed away and all will be made new. A man of yesterday anticipated their Savior's birth. This candle reminds us to look forward to his triumphant return. My brothers and sisters, let us go before our God in a prayer of supplication. Father, you are a God who is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You give steadfast love for thousands. You forgive iniquity and transgression and sins, but you are a God who will by no means clear the guilty. God, since that is your character, we put our hope and our faith and trust in you, the sovereign, majestic, beautiful, holy, holy, holy God. So God, we thank you uh, for life. We thank you for Christ who gives us life. We thank you for the beloved community, this beautiful community of brothers and sisters, the redeemed uh, that we get to gather with at the Lord's day to exalt you and to exalt in you. And Father, I want to pray now for the universal church, for the global church. I pray uh, that the church would continue to expand throughout the globe, that men, women, boys, and girls would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for local churches. I pray for uh, the churches here in Huntsville, that we would be uh, gospel-centered churches that proclaim the good news of the gospel in word and in deed. I pray for our sister churches like Southwood and Valley Prez and Cornerstone Presbyterian and Christ Prez. I pray for the pastors and the leaders of those churches that you would guide them spirit by your grace. I pray for my fellow church planters who will be planting more churches here in Huntsville. I pray that a movement of gospel renewal and revival would be a result of new churches being planted. I pray that unfaithful churches would repent and turn back to the true gospel. Lord, I pray also for the ministries that we support here in this church. I pray for Trey and Kiki Adams, who are missionaries in Thailand. 
uh, working to spread the gospel there. I pray for Amanda Cook as she serves on UAH's campus with InterVarsity. Pray for Marcus Nobles as he uh, is working out, out at Alabama A&M's campus to spread the gospel. I pray for Vinny Athey as he serves with RUF at UAH as well. And Lord, I just turn to also the things that are happening in this world, God. You see and you know all of the heartache, the trouble, the pain that people are dealing with. So now I pray for the migrants and the refugees who are in Belarus. I pray for the conflict that is happening at the Russian and Ukrainian border. Lord, I also lift up the families of Dante Wright and Kim Porter. Lord, I pray that you would be the God of mercy who you are in that situation. Lord, I pray as we have all continued to pray for the end of this pandemic. Lord, you have not forsaken us and we trust you and we love you that you have been with us through this pandemic. But Lord, we pray that you would bring it to an end. Lord, I pray for the families of this church and I pray for our families in general, Lord, that we uh, as believing families would be families who reflect Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6. Lord, I also pray for uh, the single people in this church, Lord, that you would help them to be faithful in their single singleness and that they would take their identity, not from uh, not from wanting to be married, uh, but from uh, being your child. And so, Father, I lift up all of these things to you praying that you would be the God of grace, who you are in the midst of all these things. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that I do pray and give thanks. Amen. Well, folks, the uh, text uh, that we will be unpacking today has been read in your hearing, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and also chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Now, Richard, you did an incredible job, brother, and uh, that snafu was not your fault at all. So I appreciate you reading our text on this morning. Love. 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 Love is ambiguous. Love is as confusing as it is heartwarming. Love in the right direction can bestow upon its object fountains overflowing with joy. But love in the wrong direction can leave us desolate of hope. We can love to love, but we can also love to hate. We can love God our wives, our children, our brothers and sisters, our friends. But we can also love our pets. We can also love Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. I also love to read. Some of us love sports or video games. Some of us love to gossip. Love is fickle. Love is hard. Kingdoms have gone to war for love. People have killed for love, but people have also laid down their lives for love. 
Passionate poems have been written about this thing called love. Listen to this short, short poem by English Puritan Anne Bradstreet entitled To My Dear and Loving Husband. It's old English, so bear with me. If ever two were one, then surely we. If ever man were loved by wife, then thee. If ever wife was happy in a man, compare with me, ye women, if you can. I prize thy love more than whole mines of gold, or all the riches that the east doth hold. My love is such that rivers cannot quench, nor aught but love from thee give recompense. Thy love is such I can no way repay. The heavens reward thee manifold, I pray. Then while we live in love, in love, let's so persevere. Then when we live no more, we may live ever. It's interesting that that last line didn't rhyme, but it is what it is. Most of us have favorite love songs. Some of my favorite songs of all time are Love by Music Soul Child and I Am Ready for Love by India R.E. Y'all should check those songs out. Jackie DeShannon sang a song that said, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. But the queen of rock and roll, Tina Turner, was on to something back in 1984 when she sang, What's love got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? Who needs a heart when your heart can be broken? That's too worldly for some of y'all. So gospel singer Anthony Evans sings, Love is willing to get hurt. Love gives needing no return. Most people want to be loved, but some people reject love. There are love doctors who have done PhDs on the psychology and the philosophy of love. Love is As much an action as it is an emotion or feeling. Now, my brothers and sisters, if you haven't gotten it by by now, we're going to be talking about love today. Now, these two passages that have been read, uh, they present us with two exhortations and two promises concerning the placement of our affections. So as we unpack these verses, I want us all to, to do some deep introspection. We need to ask ourselves, where do our affections lie? What does God's transcript of your passions say about your affections? Because the world and the things that the world has to offer do battle for your affection. But my brothers and sisters, as God's beloved, you are called to love God. And you are called to love people with the radical and self-sacrificial love that the triune God gives you. I'm in verse 15 of chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Y'all know what? I forgot to start my timer, so that means I'm starting it right now. And that means that I don't know how long I've been up here at this point. So there may be another 30 minutes left. 
So I'm in verse 15. I'm going to let you all in on something. This was one of the most challenging weeks of sermon prep that I've had in recent memory. Uh, we finished the Advent series last week, so I had no clue what I was going to preach today. And it's difficult for me to prepare one-off, standalone sermons. Also, I was preparing this sermon, you know, preparing for the Christmas holiday. But, but also, my, my son Caleb was at home with me uh, this week because he's on Christmas break. Now, even though those things pre- presented challenges for me, those weren't the main things that challenged me. I was challenged because God's word convicted me. I'll be the first to admit that I do not live these, these verses perfectly. And in a somewhat humorous example, uh, I'll demonstrate to you uh, why these verses convicted me. I would love to lose all of this weight that I've gained during the pandemic. But I also love crunch berries and fruity pebbles. And I love Chick-fil-A too. And Five Guys. And ribeye steaks. Y'all get the point. The reality is, is that I cannot indulge myself with both. In order to fully have one, I have to give up the other. Our passage begins with an exhortation not to love the world, neither the things of the world. And John's exhortation carries the force of a command, which demonstrates the seriousness of the exhortation. What John means by the world and the things of the world are the systems of the world that find their origin in sin. So if your affections are for the sinful things of the world, then your affections cannot also be for God the Father. The love of the Father in verse 15 can be understood as love for the Father. Remember Jesus' words from Matthew 6, verse 26. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The things of the world and love for the Father are diametrically opposed because they have different origins. I'm in verse 16 now. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. In John's estimation, the world only has three things to offer which ultimately arise from Satan and sin. The cravings of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life or pride of possessions. Now, let's consider those three very briefly. Uh, the cravings of the flesh refers to ge- uh, our general disposition the general disposition of man to be tempted by sinful desires. It refers to man's lack of discipline to resist sin and man's weakness to resist in indulging in things that are contrary to God's will. The lust of the eyes refers to the gateway for temptation and sin. The Bible illustrates this perfectly for us in the account of David and Bathsheba. David lusted after Bathsheba, after Bathsheba with a lustful eye, which 
caused him to commit some of the most heinous sin in all of the Bible. And the pride of life, lastly, refers to man's tendency to find security and importance in material things rather than God. It can be understood also, again, as the pride of possessions. In James 4.16, the ESV simply calls it arrogance. It is the self-centered belief in what you have and what you've accomplished for your affirmation and for your significance. Again, my brothers and sisters, if your affections are in those things, the cravings of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes and the pride of life, then the love of the father is not in you because those things are outside of the loving essence and nature of God. These things find their origin in the world. And although these things may bring temporary feelings of euphoria and temporary satisfaction, the feeling only lasts for a moment. People who have struggled with any addiction of any kind know this feeling very well. That high only lasts for a moment. But John also tells us that the world along with all it has to offer, is also passing away. Let's look at verse number 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let me take you out of seminary for a moment, because the Greek is quite helpful here. The phrase is passing away in verse 17 is only one word in the Greek. It is a present passive indicative verb. Don't worry. I'm going to explain that. Present passive indicative verb. It is a verb, so that means that action is happening. It is a present verb, which means that the action is ongoing or continuous. It is a passive verb, which means that the object is not doing the action. Rather, it is receiving the action. The the object which is receiving the action, in this case, is the world. It is an indicative verb, which essentially signifies a statement of fact. And the ESV does a great job. It, it, It translates this word as concisely as possible with the phrase is passing away. But it can also be understood that the world is continuously being acted upon, causing it to pass away. So my brothers and sisters, what I'm trying to get across to you is that the world is not arbitrarily passing away. It is passing away because God is causing the systems of the sinful world to pass away. My brothers and sisters, would you take a job If the CEO of the company told you that the company was going to go under in less than two weeks, would you get on a ship or on a plane if the captain told you beforehand that it was going down? I'm still missing some of y'all. Would you buy a car, a used car, if the used car salesman wasn't a shyster and was honest to tell you that the car was a lemon and the engine was only going to last for a few days? You wouldn't do any of those things. So if you wouldn't do any of those things, 
then why would we devote our, our affections, our love, our passions to the things of the world that the sovereign God is actively acting against to bring to its knees? The sovereign God who declares the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. My brothers and sisters, do not find yourself on the opposite side of the ring with the sovereign God. Now, the first half of verse 17 has a promise for the world. The world is passing away. But the second half has a promise for those who have the love of the Father. Those who have love for the Father will not indulge the cravings of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. Rather, They are the ones who do the will of the Father. There's a clear contrast between what God the Father has to offer and what the world has to offer. What the world has to offer is temporary. It is fleeting. But what God has to offer is the promise of eternal life. In contrast to the world that is passing away, the one who does the will of God abides forever. The contrast is, again, amplified in the original language. The Greek word that is translated abide or remains is also a present tense verb, just like the verb for the phrase is passing away. It is not a future tense verb. It doesn't say that the one who does the will of God will, in some time in the future, will abide forever. It says present tense abides forever the abiding for the beloved has already started and it continues through eternity eternal life has already been given to god's beloved children and the promise of eternal life is not a future promise awaiting fulfillment rather it is something that the beloved children of god already possess because the lord jesus secured it for us at calvary But this promise to abide forever is only for those who do the will of God, which raises the question, what is the will of God for his beloved children? To understand what the will of God is for us, his beloved children, let's look at the second passage that was read. I'm in verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love John addresses his readers his audience as beloved they are John's beloved but they also are the beloved of their heavenly father he exhorts them to love one another because love is from God. John's exhortation to love one another is not an imperative command like his exhortation to not love the world in our previous passage, but it doesn't carry any less weight because of the foundation of John's exhortation. What I mean is the beloved should love one another because love is from God. Love is from God, which is the foundation of John's exhortation. 
Those who show love prove their love that they are the children of God. Those who show love prove their love by their love and that they are the children of God. And those who show love prove that they know God in an intimate way. Now, those who do not show love prove that they do not know God because God's very essence, his very nature is love. And this means that everything that God does down to a fundamental level is characterized by love. God's existence is a loving existence. All of God's works and activity in creation is done in love. God's justice is carried out in love. And God cannot do anything unloving because it's contrary to his essential nature. But this also raises the question, if God is love, how does God display the essence of his love? How do we know that God's essence is love in any objective or discernible way? I'm in verses 9 and 10 now. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. My brothers and sisters, did you know that God loves you? Listen to me. Did you know that God loves you in particular, you specifically? He really loves you. You are the object of his love. You are a member of the beloved community to whom John is writing. The triune creator of the cosmos cares about you specifically. He knows you specifically. He loves you so much that he has allowed you to experience the love that he shared within himself in his co-eternal existence as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 8 tells us, But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If God is love, and he is, then the ultimate revelation of his love is in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's essential nature is manifested. It is made plain in his initiative to send his only begotten son so that we could have eternal life through Christ. Now, excuse my archaic King James Version language for a moment, but I love the translation only begotten. Some of your Bibles may say one and only. But the translation only begotten keeps us in line with the historic creeds and confessions from church history. But but also the ambiguity of the phrase helps to communicate the unique and special relationship that God the Son has eternally shared with God the Father that no one else in all of existence has. Sometimes I can't imagine laying down my own life, let alone the life of my children. But what does John 3:16 tell us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
And my friends, always remember that the Lord Jesus died not for his friends, but for his enemies. I like the way that uh, the, the Christian rapper Andy Menio said this. He said it this way. For the sin that I committed should have paid that price. But I didn't because the father went and gave the Christ. What love is this to send his own, to die for sin and take us home? Got me feeling good, but forget my feelings. Here's the, here's the kicker. When you heard a story about the hero dying for the villain. My brothers and sisters, the gospel is the story about the hero dying for the villain. And guess what? You're the villain. You're Agent Smith. You're Sauron. You're the White Witch. You Devo and Big Worm. I know I just missed a whole lot of people with that one. But instead of destroying us like villains and giving us what we deserve, instead of allowing us to pass away with the things of the world, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. My brothers and sisters, we are no longer enemies. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer strangers. We are sons. And if we are sons, we are heirs through God. My brothers and sisters, what kind of of love is this it should overwhelm us and bring us to our knees because the sovereign god of the entire cosmos loves us this much you're loved my brothers and sisters richard you're loved mandy you're loved dolores you're loved jessica you're loved marcus you're loved now In our last two verses, we find the crux of the will of God. Let's look at verse 11 first. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I like to wear baseball caps. I don't have one on today, but normally I have one on. I've always liked to wear them, even before I started going bald. So don't think that I'm just trying to cover up my my receding hairline with my baseball caps. That's not what it is. But every now and then, one of my sons gets a hold to one of my baseball caps. And they'll put it on and they'll strut around like it gives them significance. Now, one day, my wife and me, my, my wife and I, we asked our sons why they like to wear my hats. Now, I... Don't remember which one of them said it, but his response was, because my daddy likes to wear hats. I think some of y'all just missed that. What John is saying to us, beloved, if God has shown us radical love by sending his only begotten son, then we should want to show radical love to one another because our daddy does it. We should want to serve and love one another because our daddy does it. We should want to help one another because our daddy does it. We should 
support one another because our daddy does it. We should serve the poor because our daddy does it. We should love our neighbor because our daddy does it. We should love our enemies because our daddy did it. We should love the church because our daddy does. The will of the father is that we would love with the same radical love that he gives us. But there's also a promise connected to our love for one another. And in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John acknowledges that we can't visibly see God. No one at any time has examined him is what the original language is getting at. But the love of God accomplishes its ultimate goal when beloved brothers and sisters love one another. God's ultimate goal and the fullness of his love is realized as we, as brothers and sisters, love each other. As I close, I want you to grasp what is really, what's really being said here. Follow the progression of the passage here in chapter 4. In verses 7 and 8, God is love. His very essence, his very nature is love. In verses 9 and 10, the essence of God's love is manifested in the sending of the Son. In verses 11 and 12, God manifest, God's manifested love abides among us and his love is perfected in us i want to ask you a question can you see the work of the triune god the father's love is revealed in the sending of the son the son loves us by giving his life for us And the Spirit loves us by abiding with us and in us to bring about the perfection of God's love. So, my brothers and sisters, what's love got to do with it? Everything. And I want to end by reading from 1 Corinthians, uh, the famous love chapter. Some have called it 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Beginning at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, But have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures 
all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been known. So now, faith, hope, and charity. Faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that your love was demonstrated in sending Jesus to die in our stead. The wrath that we should have suffered should have suffered was poured out on Christ. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us enough to bear our burden and to exchange your burden and give it to us. Spirit, we thank you that you love us and you dwell and abide with us, and you love us by helping us to know and discern the will of the Father. Triune God, we thank you for your love. Help us now to demonstrate love in real ways as we live life in a broken world. It is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen. Peace of the Lord go with you, the peace.
towards benediction. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in grace.